2 Timothy chapter 3. And a couple of other quick announcements. Our uh, fourth quarter business meeting, where we'll go over uh, our spending for the fourth quarter of 2017 and then also cover some other uh, business items. That will be next Sunday evening. And so we approved 2018's budget last week, and then next week we'll, uh, we will uh, vote to accept the uh, fourth quarter spending. So uh, be, be aware of that uh, uh, announcement. Also, our Young Married Couples class tonight after the evening service will be going to Chips in uh, Milford. And so anyone in, our, anyone in the church who would like to uh, join us uh, that feels like they could possibly fit that category and is interested in visiting our class, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. That will be this evening after church. Uh, most folks will be bringing children along. We do have some folks in the class that don't have children. But the reason why I say that is if you uh, have children, feel free to bring them along and, and uh, feed them with us. And so hot pancakes on a day like today is a good thing. Amen? All right. Second Timothy 3, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read out loud 16 and 17 together. And our entire focus this morning will be on these two verses as we prepare the way for the sermons for 2018. Let's begin reading together in verse 16. Here we go. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And again, the title this morning is our theme for this year, Back to the basics. Let's pray. God, I ask that this morning you'd help us as we endeavor on a new journey this year of, uh, of sermon types, sermon uh, ideas. And Lord, I pray that 2018 for many folks here would be a year that we get the basics of the Bible down. And that, Lord, uh, for those of us that have been going to church for a long time, maybe some gaps would be filled in along the way uh, where we just really didn't quite understand something a certain way. I, Lord, I never, uh, never cease to be amazed how many folks will go to a church like this for 15 or 20 years. And Lord, will just not understand some very basic things. And so may this year those things get covered. And then, Lord, as we look at the science of the Christian life, how to, do, how to live the, the Christian life practically, we go back to the basics with that. I pray that uh, today's sermon would, uh, Lord, uh, be the spark plug, would be the uh, beginning of helping us and exciting us about that. And Lord, even touch our hearts today about some areas where we can immediately improve on, uh, specifically valuing the Bible and its importance in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This past Wednesday, I turned 34 years old, and so um, uh, I'm a youngster. But all 34 years of my life, I have been in church. I believe within a week after having been born, I was in the nursery of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, and my parents walked away with me screaming and crying. Uh, my, my mom uh, did not want to leave me in the nursery. My dad made her leave me in the nursery. And so such is, uh, such is life. Um, as a young man, I uh, was taken to church three times a week. My father was hired a year and a half after I was born by the Air Base Road Baptist Church in uh, Louisiana, right outside of Shreveport. And I was part of that church as a youngster till about the age of three. At the age of three... My father uh, uh, took another position to be a Christian school administrator, assistant pastor at the Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I would live till I was 13. It was at that ministry where the Lord began to show me of my need of salvation. 
by the time I got to four years old, that would be 30 years ago, uh, I was um, well aware of the gospel. Well aware of the gospel. I had heard it at home. My mom would sit and read me Bible stories. Um, she would uh, uh, take me to church and uh, leave me in the nursery, and we would learn how to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We would sing, um, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. And uh, we would sing all the songs, all the little children's songs that you would expect a child to sing. And uh, at the age of four, I moved out of the nursery and into a regular Sunday school class. And I was very blessed at such a young age, by the age of four, to have heard the gospel in some form or another hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, my father didn't let me goof off in church, even at four. He didn't let me color. Um, and I'm not saying what you should or shouldn't do. I'm just saying how it was with my dad. He was very militant with me in that way. He wasn't a military guy. But he, I was expected as a four-year-old boy to sit up straight through church and listen to a guy that was in his upper 60s uh, preach. And I didn't understand hardly any of it. And you're talking about miserable. Miserable. Four years old, uh, Sunday night, and then uh, I believe Wednesday night there as well, we, we sat there. And our pastor, I mean, he was old school. I mean old school. We would have a revival twice a year that was seven days long. Sunday to Sunday. I mean, it was, uh, and, and you were expected to be there, especially my dad was on staff. We had to be there. And I got to say, the church all in all handled that well. Now, we'll have a revival here that goes Sunday to Wednesday. And Monday and Tuesday night, generally our attendances are a little bit down. And then we'll have a missions conference Sunday to Wednesday. And usually those are a little bit better attended. But he would get up and say things like, I don't want to hear any complaining about uh, a seven-day revival. When I was a boy, and again, he's in his upper 60s. And this was 20 years, 30 years ago. So we're talking 100 years ago almost, right? He said, when I was a boy, we had month-long revivals. Well, okay, the seven days isn't so bad when you put it like that, I guess. Uh, so, um, one day that uh, Brother Williams, one of the most humble men I've ever met. Uh, my dad says he's the most humble man he's ever worked for. Um, Brother uh, Williams was up preaching. And for the first time, I really understood his sermon. The sermon was about heaven. The first half of it. Boy, he made heaven so sweet. He made heaven look so beautiful. My little four-year-old imagination. And then the second half of the sermon, he just preached on hell. By the way, there's a whole lot more in the Bible about hell than there is about heaven. And uh, there are churches out there that want to pretend like hell is a figurative thing or it's not real. Hell is a literal place. Hell is a literal place. And you can't just pick the portions of the Bible that make you smile and say, oh, those are the ones I like. You know, uh, when you're making cookies... It's easy to, you know, put the sugar in your mouth. Not so much fun to take raw egg and put it in your mouth. But you need the raw eggs to make cookies. There are parts of the Bible that you may not like, but they're necessary. And by the time he got done with that sermon, man, as a four-year-old boy, I had been placed in heaven and I had been swung over hell. And I knew which one I wanted. He said something along the lines of, if you want to go to heaven, then you need to come and kneel at the altar. And I thought that somehow, my little four-year-old head, I thought somehow if I walked forward and I knelt on the altar, I was going to be transported to heaven. So this is cool. This is awesome. So I went up and I laid down on the altar, kneeled there. It was, you know, six or seven steps high all the way across the front. And so I went up two or three steps. I wanted to make sure I didn't get missed. 
So I went up a little bit and I, and I knelt down there and I'm laying there and I'm just waiting for something magical to happen. And my father came and he put his arm around me and he said, why did you come forward? And I said, I want to I wanna go to heaven when I die. And he said, well, why don't you come over here and sit down with me? And so I went and sat down on the front pew with him in this side of the auditorium and he took the Bible. He showed me I was a sinner, which I already well knew. He showed me that, that sin had a price, that God sent those who died in their sin to hell. And I just heard the sermon and I began to wail up with tears. I didn't want to go there. He said, but Richard, the good news is that Jesus, He died on the cross for you. He, he went through hell in your place. He suffered for you. And He said, all you've got to do is ask Him to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sins. And He'll give you the gift of heaven. He'll write your name down in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. He explained that concept to me in very, very simple terms. The truth is, I already knew most of it. Because I had been hearing it from, pretty much from the day I was born. That day, um, the day I bowed my head, I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. He, uh, he forgave me my sins. That was April 8th, 1988. This year will be... 30 years, on April 8th of this year will be 30 years ago that I put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm more excited actually about my spiritual birthday than I am about my physical birthday, the day that Jesus saved me. He, he gave me a new life in Christ, a new life in Christ. All of my life I have been around church. I've, I've uh, gone to church three times a week my entire life, my entire life. I've not known uh, anything else. I've gone to a Baptist church for 34 years of my life. And though I have been in church all of these years, there is still plenty of things that I do not know about the Bible. I've read it through many times. Uh, I study it every week so I can get up and preach to you. I've now put together well over 250 sermons that I have put together and preached here at this church. So I study the Bible a lot, but what I find is that the more I study it, the more I realize there's so much more I don't yet know, I don't yet get. get. God's Word is a treasure trove of goodness. And it is totally inexhaustible. The truth is I could lock myself up in a monastery for the rest of my life and live into my old age and study it 8 to 10 hours a day, and I would never uncover all of it. Never would. Now, I want to use an illustration here to kind of help you understand the idea of the theme this year. All right, um, I was a seventh grade math teacher for two years. Anybody here teach math in school? I know Brother Scarpetti does. Rose over here does. Anybody here ever taught math on a school level, whether it was a homeschool setting or in a school? I see your hand. You know what I found teaching math is that math is a whole lot like building a building. Now, I'm going to tie this back into the Bible, all right? So hang on with me here. Um, I would get seventh graders in my class who did not know what a fraction was. Now, you can't teach them what X is in a math problem if they don't even know what a fraction is, okay? Uh, and they didn't know what a fraction was, and they're sitting there with a problem in front of them that is three and a half plus four and a quarter. But they don't even know what that half is. You have to go back to what they missed and fill in the gaps so that their math ability 
can grow and grow and grow. What happens uh, in, a, say, a 5th, 6th, 7th grade math class is if you don't get the foundation settled and you don't get the, the beginning of the math building up right, when you try, start trying to uh, stack pre-algebra and then algebra and then, say, geometry or calculus or pre-calc and then calc and advanced math and all that, the whole thing just comes tumbling down and it becomes impossible for a high school student to make good grades in math because they're missing something they should have learned in the third and fourth and fifth grade. And a calculator can only do so much for you. Now, I think we're getting to the place where you can ask Google anything and they'll tell you, right? Or Siri, anything, and they'll just give you the answer. But that didn't fly with my teacher. If I copied the answers off someone else's uh, uh, math homework, they wanted to see the worksheet, Right? They want to say, I did the work myself in my own handwriting. And so the Christian life is the same way. You come in and you start hearing all these big, fancy, highfalutin words, but you've got to go back to kindergarten and learn the basics. And then first grade, and then second, and then third. And then by the time you begin to learn the basics of the Bible, you say, well, what are some examples of the basics of the Bible filling in those gaps? And I will say this, there are some of you here... Uh, you've been going to church a long time, and you're very advanced in a certain part of the Bible, but boy, you're missing gaps that are very simple and fundamental and basic in other parts of the Bible. My hope this year is that if you will attend as many services as possible, if you'll be faithful to church this year, Sunday, both Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then uh, Wednesday night as we go through the Bible book by book, and then eventually we'll move into the back to the basic series once we finish uh, uh, going going through our through the series Bible, but or through, through, through the series uh, through the Bible series. Once we get through that, my hope is that as you attend church more and more, you'll begin to get some of these gaps filled. Now there are a whole bunch of you here that the Bible is still a brand new book to you. If I were to say turn to the book of Second Thessalonians. You'd have to go to the concordance, or rather to the, um, what do you call that thing in the front? Appendix? Appendix is here. That doesn't work. Index. There it is. You have to go to the index. See, it's been a long time since I've used it. And you'd have to look. Second Thessalonians, page 3,220. Okay, and you turn over, right? Some of you, that's where you're at with the Bible. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's where you're at, boy, you have come to the right place for 2018. Because by the time we get through the end of the year, if you're faithful to church, I promise you, you're going to know a lot of things about the Bible that you would have thought, oh, I'd have to go to Bible college to know that. My goal this year is to give you some heavy things in a light way. Does that make sense? To take a big, complicated word like, like uh, let's see, propitiation. And make it super easy to understand. And make it fun to understand. My goal is that you'll come here and I'll read through this list. And I've given you the, the easy layman type terms here. Ready? The doctrine of the Bible. The doctrine of God the Father. The doctrine of God the Son. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of man. The doctrines of heaven and hell. The doctrines of angels and demons. How about eternal security and baptism? How about the doctrine of the church? Some of you are sitting there going, oh, 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 pastor. My goal is to take all those topics and many, many more and explain them in a way where you can come and sit down and, and, and leave and go, you know what, I get it. I get it, I understand it. Um, many people end up leaving a Bible church, and I'm going to be careful to avoid the word Baptist. I, I, we're White Oak Baptist Church, and I am Baptist to the core, and... Uh, 
this year we'll be explaining in depth what that means. But let me step away from the word Baptist for a minute. I'm not afraid of the word. I'm not going to get rid of the word. I, I love that identity. But let me, let me use a different word for a minute. Biblicists. Okay, Biblicists. Wild Oak Baptist Church is a church where the Bible is the final authority. However, there are many other denominations, and I will even say this, there are some Baptist churches where the Bible is not the final authority. And we pick churches, hear what I'm about to say here, oftentimes we pick churches for very, very, very superficial, shallow reasons. I've heard people say, well, your music isn't good enough. I think our music's pretty good here. For the size of church that we have and for a volunteer choir, I think they do great. I really do. Is there room for improvement? There's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. You should not pick a church just based on how the music moves you. You ought to pick a church based on how the Bible is taught and preached. How the Bible is taught and preached. Is it balanced? Is it made simple to understand? Is it clear? Is it clear? A lot of people will end up in a church where the doctrine's way off in left field. And the reason why they end up in a church like that is because they don't know their Bible doctrine. Every year we have people that move out of the area. Work moves them, life moves them. They land in Florida or California or like the jeans that move, they move to Canada. Who would want to do that? <laughs> it's cold here. It's like five degrees colder where they are right now than it is right here. That's nuts, okay? But uh, uh, wherever you move, you end up moving, and then it's time to pick a new church. It's time to pick a new church. And if you know what the real deal is about the Bible, you'll stay away from counterfeits. You'll stay away from counterfeits. Um, There are others of you here, you pretty much know your doctrine. But let me ask you a question. Are you really, truly living the victorious Christian life? Are you practicing what you know? It's one thing to know it here, and even believe it here, but are you doing it out here? Well, that's a whole other thing. So we need to get back to the basics of the science of the Christian life. The science of living the the Christian life. Um, Let me give you some ideas here. Are you reading your Bible consistently? You know you're supposed to, but do you do it? How about this? Are you studying your Bible? And I'm not talking about my Sunday school teachers that would study on Saturday night right before they get up to teach on Sunday. Then you're just studying out of obligation, not because you actually enjoy it. Are you memorizing Scripture? Thy word have I hid in my heart, Psalm 119.10 tells us, that I might not sin against thee. Are you meditating on God's word? Are you placing Christ at the center of every relationship like we talked about last Sunday? How about prayer? Do you pray? Do you know uh, how to effectively pray? Praying like this. Dear Lord, uh, bless Maria while she's in the hospital. And uh, uh, bless uh, Betty Olson since she can't come to church. And bless Pastor. And bless my wife. And bless my... That's not effectively praying. That's how a lot of people pray. That's shallow praying. And I'm not here to pick on you. I'm here to say this year we're going to learn how to do these things. We're going to be reminded again of the importance of them. Uh, Do you know how to confess your sin to God? I have to say right here, I try not to take shots at the Catholic Church. All right, Obviously we're not a Catholic Church. But I'm going to take a shot at the Catholic Church. Is that okay with everybody? 
All right, listen, I'm not, I'm gonna, this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I'm so glad I'm not a priest. There's no confessional booth here. Because I don't want to know all your dirty little secrets. The Bible says if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that He is your high priest. You can go directly to Him yourself. Do you know how to confess your sins to God effectively? Do you know how to get your, your conscience cleared with God? We're going to learn that this year. Um, do you know how to pray for others? How about the basics of sharing the gospel? Are you actively telling people about Jesus? Do you even know how to tell people about Jesus? These are things we're going to cover. We're going to go back to the basics. Our theme verses this year will be 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So this morning I'd like for us to take a close look at these verses and see uh, uh, see that the genesis of everything we believe and everything we do as Christians comes back to and rests on the Word of God. So let's jump in this morning and look at five key thoughts about getting back to the basics of Christian knowledge and living. Number one this morning is this, God's message. God's message. Look back with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Let's read those first two words out loud together. Ready? Here we go. All Scripture. Again, ready? All Scripture. So what are the Scriptures? What are the Scriptures? They are God's given words for us uh, uh, to, uh, for a multitude of reasons. They're God's, God's words given to us for a multitude of reasons. So, how do you describe the Bible? Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. The 1,700 plus chapters that are there. The thousands and the tens of thousands of words that are there. How do you describe this book uh, with words and names that some, some of you don't even know how to pronounce? How do you go about describing it? Well, uh, uh, the first thing I'll describe it as is a, a love letter. It's a love letter. It's a love letter. Um, Angel and I, when we were dating... The last semester of our college year, we were, uh, uh, this would have been, let's see, we got married in, don't, don't tell me here, 2009? No, no, 2007. We got married in 2007, 10 years ago. Uh, 2007. So uh, the, the fall semester of 2006, we were both in the same college. Uh, we're doing well in college. We're, I, we got engaged that, that semester. And we get down to the end of the semester, I had six credits left to graduate, and I had made a commitment before I started college that I would not get married until after I had graduated. I didn't want to do the student marital life thing, and so I had six credits left, and I was broke as a joke. I had no money. I mean none. Um, I was going uh, paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes my parents' paycheck to paycheck. It was, a, it was a battle, and so I told Angela, I said, we've got no money to get married on. We're getting married next June. Whether or not we have the money, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home to Baltimore where my parents live, and I'm going to get several jobs. I'm going to save every penny I can so we can get married. And then I'll come back to college and I'll do three summer school classes and knock out those last six credits. So that last semester, we were apart while we were engaged. Uh, and we didn't have FaceTime back then. And I don't think Skype was really that big of a deal. So uh, we, didn't, we weren't even able really to see each other. So she would write me letters. And I mean, she would take her perfume and she would spray it on the letter. Then she would seal it, and she would put some lipstick on the back. Oh, man. I worked three jobs. I worked a third shift job for Solo Cup, driving a forklift from 11 to 7. I taught in the Christian school there where my dad worked uh, two or three hours a day. 
uh, and then I worked a construction job. So I would work 11 to 7. I'd get off at 7, and I would uh, rush to the construction site. I would change. I would paint or caulk or whatever it is they needed me to do. And then I would uh, change out of that into a shirt and tie, and I would run into the classroom, and I would teach for uh, two, two and a half, three hours. And then I would uh, run to my parents' house and run up in the little bedroom I had, and I would crash, and I'd sleep for six, seven hours, and then back to Solo Cup to do it all over again. And so i got to say that I, I was just exhausted. did that for four and a half months. And there was nothing better than coming home to a perfume-scented letter. Nothing better. I'd pull that thing out, and I'd open it, and it would say, Dearest Richard. <sighs> my heart would just oh, run down to my shoes. And um, I would read it, and I'd read it again. And I'd read it again, and then I'd tuck it in my pocket. And then if I began to fall asleep on my way home from that, or rather on my way to the construction job, I'd pull it out and I'd smell the perfume off the letter, and it would wake me up. You know what, that was, uh, those love letters uh, really helped get me through that, that four and a half months we were apart. You know what the Bible is? It's a love letter from God to you. You see, it's a complicated love letter. It is at times a complicated love letter. But the more you read it, and the more you understand it. I cannot tell you how many times I have been sitting with my Bible and reading it, and I have re- unveiled something or understood something, and I was so overwhelmed by the love of God that tears would literally drip off my chin and onto the pages of the Bible. We turned our backs on God in the Garden of Eden. And God took a whole Bible to write to us to tell us how we could have our relationship not only restored with Him for eternity, but how to live our lives in a way that please Him as our Heavenly Father. This is a love letter. Too often we look at it and go, well, I don't know how to read the name uh, Hashbaz uh, Melashazzar, or whatever that name is, and go, that name's too complicated, and there's too many these and thous and thines, and... So we close it and we set it on the we set it on the shelf and then we pick it up the next Sunday and we go All right, let's go to church. We treat it more like a a, a reference uh, manual an encyclopedia than we do a love letter. The Bible is not only a love letter, but it's an instruction manual. It's an instruction manual. What if you were to invent a very complicated piece of furniture. No one had thought of this piece of furniture before, but you thought of it. You took it out of the patent office, and you got it patented, and you were in line to make millions and millions of dollars, because this was going to be a smash hit. This was going to be like the iPhone of 2007. Okay, Everybody was going to want this. People are going to need it. They didn't even know they needed it before you invented it. And so you take your ideas to some big uh, uh, warehouse type places, a Walmart, a Target, uh, uh, some big stores, and man, they're all in. They're all in. And so you go to your warehouse, uh, uh, or rather you go to a manufacturer, and you get them to agree to, to build it piece by piece, and to package it, and to box it, and off to the store it goes. And I'm the end consumer, and I go in, and I buy your product, and I take it home, and I open it up, and there are a hundred pieces to put together. It's very complicated. But there's one little problem. There's no instruction manual. Now, the um, mechanical engineer, he'd figure it out. But me, I put it in the box and take it back. 
You know what would happen? Your ID would tank. You would make nothing. We all understand that, right? Got to put the instructions in there. We got a dollhouse for April this year off of Amazon. A four foot tall dollhouse. I was up until 2 a.m. Christmas morning putting that bad boy together. Had a really good set of instructions. I was able to put it together very, very easily. Instruction manual is important. Now, why would God step out on nothing and create everything and then reach down with His hands and make you, set you through life so that He could have a relationship with you and then not give you a manual to tell you how to live? Wouldn't that be foolish to Him? Wouldn't that be foolish to him? I wonder how many of you here, you ladies here, have ever watched your husband try to do things, do something like that without the instructions and then just kind of went back and snickered at him. Alright, how many ladies have done that, be honest here? Alright, a few of you? And your husband's, ah, he's all frustrated. Ah, get the directions and open it up. Ah, right? You know, that's what we do with life. God's given us an instruction manual to tell us how to raise kids. He's given us an instruction manual to tell us how to be married. He's given us an instruction manual to tell us how to live the Christian life in a way that's ethical and pleasing to Him. But we go through life and we ignore the instruction manual. We go, oh, it's just a little too complicated. And my friend, God gave us this book to help guide us along the way. It is filled with stories that tell us what not to do. What else is the Bible? Well, it is a history book. It is His story. It is His Story. The Bible is God's story of the earth. Now, I'll say it's not just a history book, but where it speaks on history, it is always, always, always accurate. And Brother Verone, one of the things I love is that they'll undig, they'll, they'll uncover something in an archaeological dig, and it just goes back and proves the Bible. <laughs> Every time. And these people want to say, oh, the Bible's not true, but then they'll uncover something else. Well, let's not cover that in the news, because that would, you know, that would, that would not fit the narrative of evolution. History book. What else is the Bible? It's a science book. It's a science book. The Bible can be broken down into just a few categories here. Genesis through Deuteronomy are the books of the law. Joshua through Esther are history books. Uh, Job through the book of Song of Solomon are books of poetry, Hebrew poetry. Isaiah through Malachi are the books of the prophets. Matthew through John in the New Testament are the Gospels of Jesus. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. Romans through Hebrews are the epistles or letters of Paul. Uh, James through Jude are general letters or general, general epistles. And then Revelation is New Testament prophecy. Some of these are easier to understand than others. But let me just say this. All Scripture, all Scripture is profitable. You say, what about those genealogies? We're such and such, we got such and such, we got such and such. I've got to be honest with you. Can I just tell you a little secret? I don't really understand how that's profitable for me. But since the Bible says that it is, it is. It is. All Scripture. Number one, we, look, we looked at God's message. Number two, looked at, let's look at God's magnanimity. God's magnanimity or His benevolence. Look back down with me at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I've got to move quickly here. All Scripture is given. Those next two words. Let's read them out loud together. Ready? Is given. Again, is given. Is given. God has given us a Bible. He has given us His Word. Why? Because He is a benevolent, generous a giver to us so that we can help, uh, He can help us. What else does God give? Well, God is the giver of life. 
God is the giver of grace. God is the giver of love. God is the giver of salvation. Now, let me make a very strong point to you here. What if God had given us life, had given us uh, uh, eternal life, had given us grace, had given us love, and had given us salvation, but had never written down the story of how He did it? You know that we would probably never know about it. We'd never know about it. It isn't just good enough that God sent Jesus to die on the cross to buy you out of hell, buy me out of hell. There needed to be a perfect record of it written down so that now, 2018 years later, I can read it and know that Jesus can save me. The truth is, um, there could have been other song of, or rather, other Solomons in the Bible. Solomon was filthy rich. Some have estimated to be worth over a hundred trillion dollars. I don't know how much money he had. Right? It's a ridiculous amount of money he accumulated. Um, do you know the only reason why we know who Solomon is is because he's in the Bible? One for that, we would know who he was. Say, oh, well, surely uh, other history books. There are no ancient history books that have Solomon's name in them. Unless they are referring to the Bible or they're copying the Bible. They stand alone. The only reason why we have the story of Jesus and His saving grace is because God chose to have it put down in a Bible so long ago so that we would have that today. Why? Because God is not just the giver of eternal life. And that eternal life is abundant and free if you'll open up your heart and you'll believe. God is not just the giver of grace that forgives our sins. God is not just the giver of a perfect love. God is not just the giver of salvation. He is the giver of a book that contains the message of those things. Number one, we see God's message. Number two, God's magnanimity. Number three, notice God's method. God's method. Look back at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given. How was it given? By inspiration of God. By inspiration of God. Quickly, turn in your Bibles. Hold your place there. Turn in your Bibles just a couple pages to the right over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Timothy uh, should just be... you got Hebrews, James uh, there, 1 Peter, uh, uh, then, then, then 2 Peter. So if you find Hebrews, it's kind of a big book. Get through that. James... Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, and then 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 20. That word inspire is the idea that God fully and completely authored the Bible. All right. Now, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says that God, all Scripture, the entire Bible, was given to us by inspiration of God. But uh, how exactly did that work? Look at verse 20. Knowing this, chapter 1, verse 20 there, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Let me just uh, tell you what that means. Man did not invent what you're reading. This isn't privately interpreted. God didn't say, I want you to write about this, and some man gave his own private interpretation of it. No, the Bible says that the Scriptures are not of any private interpretation. Look at verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It wasn't put down by man's free will. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's how this worked. God in heaven told Moses what to write. And Moses wrote every word down that God told him to write. Here's the simplest way for me to explain this to you. Moses and the other uh, 29 or 30 men of the Bible who wrote God's word... We're God's secretaries. Sometimes I'll, my secretary sitting back here, sometimes I'll dictate a letter to her. 
And she'll take uh, that recording and she'll download it on her computer. And while that's playing, she'll type out what I'm saying. At the very bottom of the letter, she'll put down, it'll say, uh, uh, Sincerely, Richard, Pastor Richard Lejeune slash JW. That doesn't mean she's a Jehovah's Witness, okay? Every time I see JW, I think she's a Jehovah's Witness. No, I'm just teasing. Um, I do think that, but uh, yeah. JW. Weren't you part of that at one point? She was part of the Jehovah's Witness movement at one point. Uh, but that was before you were married, I believe. JW. And that means Jeannie Wolf. You know what that means? I wrote it, but she typed it. I authored it. They're my words, but she typed it. When you open up the book of Joel, Joel wrote it, but God authored it. God told Joel, through the Holy Spirit, what to write. All Scripture is given. God has given you, you hold in your hands, if you have a Bible, the perfect Word of God. The perfect Word of God. I'm going to explain that in great depth here in a couple of Sundays. I don't have time to do that for you. But let me give you a quote by Brother Jack Hiles, a a pastor of yesteryear. He said this, Before the first word was spoken on earth, the last word of the Bible had already been completed in heaven. Before, before God stepped out and said, let there be light, the Bible had already been written. The Bible had already been written. God authored the Bible, and then He had men pin it down. It's a poem I'm going to read very slowly here, because the logic in it is so rich and true. If I read it fast, you won't get it, uh, unless you're just uh, a genius. Uh, but uh, I want to read it nice and slow. Everyone pay attention to the, this poem. is just so deep and rich. It says... The Holy Bible must have been inspired of God and not of men. I could not, if I would, believe that good men wrote it to deceive. And bad men could not, if they would, and surely would not, if they could, proceed to write a book so good. And certainly no crazy man could e'er conceive its wondrous plan. And pray what other kinds of men then do these three groups comprehend. Hence it must be that God inspired the words which souls of prophets fired. God wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible. We're going to go back to the basics and understand that book this year, uh, throughout the year. And But I want you to understand that you hold in your lap the Word of God. Alright, quickly here, number four, we see the Christian's maturation. The Christian's maturation. All, God's message, all Scripture. Uh, God's magnanimity is given. Uh, uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's God's method. Number four, we see the Christian's maturation or maturity. Look back at verse 16. The rest of the verse continues on. It says, and is profitable. Is profitable for what? For, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Many people treat the Bible as though it's a reference material. As though it's an encyclopedia. Well, I hit a rough spot in my marriage. Let me go and open up and see what it says about that. Okay, da, 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 da. yep, right there. Okay, yep, got it. All right, close it, set it down. Da da da. Go on and live my life. Well, I had a rough spot with my employer. What's the Bible say about the workplace? Okay, uh, 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 right there. See it, read it. Okay, got it. Put it down. That's not what the Bible is supposed to be. You're supposed to have a personal relationship with the Bible, and it's God's given this to us for many reasons, so that. It will mature you and turn you into the person He wants you to be. Now, uh, here's the truth, Christian. 
one day you will stand before God and give Him an account for the way that you live your life. Your mom and dad won't be next to you. Your spouse won't be next to you. Your pastor won't be next to you. Be you and God. And you don't get to say, well, I, would, I turned out the way I turned out because of da 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 in my past. God says, no, no, no. I gave you a Bible that told you how to live. Chucked full of examples of people that had harder circumstances than you and still did what was right. It'll be without excuse. Luke chapter 12 verse 48 says this, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall, much, uh, be, shall be much required. And to whom men have uh, committed much, of him they will ask the more. Here's the neat thing, Christian. Um, you live in a part of time where you have a complete Bible that's been put together, printed, and sold where you can get it. Can you imagine if you lived where the Bible is done being written? I think God might hold some of those folks a little less accountable than He holds you and me. Why? Because you've been given more. He's going to require more. And your little excuse of, well, it's too complicated, that's not going to fly when you stand before God. It's just not going to fly. He's given you a brain, He's given you the ability to read. And he expects you to get in here and understand it. Now listen, again, there are passages that are harder than others. But he expects you not only to understand it, but to guide by it. Let me give you quickly here an A, B, C, and a D. I'm going to run through these really quick. Letter A, notice doctrine. Doctrine. What is doctrine? So the Bible says there that the Word of God uh, uh, that, uh, that, and is profitable for doctrine. All right, That word doctrine scares a lot of people. Oh, the pastors are going to start talking about doctrine. That's scary. Okay, uh, That word doctrine is, simply means this. It means teachings. That's it. Teachings. There are all kinds of doctrines. Some of those doctrines are biblical doctrines. Some of them are not. If you go to Sunday school, uh, the Sunday school hour, the adult Bible study hour, then you know what you're doing? You're sitting under doctrines. You're sitting under teachings. Um, uh, let me encourage you to be in as many services as possible in 2018. If you can come back on a Sunday night, uh, you're going to learn some things about the Bible that otherwise you'll miss if you're not here. Uh, you say, but pastor, you want me to give up another hour of my 168 every week to be here? It's only one more hour, alright? Uh, you can come, and you'll get a lot more out of it, and you can bond with your church family. Lee Robertson used to say all the time, he pastored a, a, a very large church, at one point the largest Sunday school in America, back in the 50s and 60s, he used to say, three to thrive, three to thrive. What was he saying? Three services a week to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night. You want to thrive in your Christian life. Three to thrive. Three to thrive. And so be here this year. Why? Because doctrine, it teaches us what's right. Letter B, notice reproof. Reproof shows us when we're wrong. The Bible is a whole lot like salt. How many like to put salt in your food? All right? That salt shaker gets used a lot. I'm not a big salt user. My wife loves salt. And so uh, my wife all the time will have me come over to the, the, the stove and test it. She'll say, is it too salty? Because she has a tendency to put too much salt on things. Because she loves salt. Is my wife in here? She may have to slip out. Good, that's open game now. Amen. <laughs> is she here? I'm getting pointed. Oh, she is in here. Oh, i got to behave. All right. Um, well, there went that illustration. I'm going to tell it anyway. Amen. Ah, here we go. 
she knows what I'm going to say right now. When we were first married, um, I had a job working at Under Armour. I've worked all kinds of jobs, and uh, in, the, in the shoe department there, in um, uh, outside of Baltimore. And it was just, a, it was, a, it was, I was put there by a temp agency to get me through that summer before I could start working at the Christian school. I had to be at work at 5 a.m. I had to get, and I had to pick up my brother. He went with me. I had, uh, so I was up at like 3:45 in the morning to go to work. And Angela, we were newlyweds. We only been married a week or two. Angela loved to get up early for me and make me breakfast before I went to work. And so here we are. We're just back from our honeymoon. It's the first couple of weeks we're married. Her mom was actually had flown in for the wedding from Peru. She was still with us, hadn't flown back yet. And uh, she, uh, she gets up really early with her mom, and she's going to make me pancakes from scratch. And so she brings these pancakes into the bedroom. And she wakes me up, 3.30 in the morning, and she's got these pancakes and I mean, they're fluffy, they're thick, they look great, got a golden crisp on the outside. And I sit up and she hands me the platter and, and I take the first bite and she had loaded it down, like quadrupled the serving of like, what is that, uh, sodium chloride or whatever it was, I don't know the ingredient. And they were like as salty, I felt like I was drinking the ocean. And she put like three of them on my plate. So I get through the first one, and I'm trying to be the good husband. You know, my wife's learning how to cook. She's an excellent cook now, didn't know then. And uh, I get through the first one, and I'm like, yeah, I'm awake. Woo! <laughs> Her mom, I guess she had made some more, and they were in the kitchen. Her mom starts laughing, and she says, Angela, ven, ven para acá. It means, Angela, come here. So Angela goes running in the kitchen and she takes a bite of one of her own pancakes and she comes running back in the bedroom. Why are you eating that? What is wrong with you? You've got to be honest with me. You know, the Bible's a whole lot like salt. It, it's, it's wonderful when it seasons our life. It's not so wonderful when you pour salt into an open wound. Sometimes that's what the Bible does. Sin opens a wound in our heart, and the Word of God gets poured on top of us in our daily reading or at church. And boy, we come in and it's, ugh, ouch, ugh, it stings. The Word of God is meant to teach us what's right. It's also meant to show us and sting us when we're wrong. Let her see. We see correction. Correction. The Christian's maturation. Correction. It tells us how to get right. It tells us how to get right. What if all I did was yell at my children every time they did wrong, but I never taught them how to do what's right? What if I said to them, you go in there and make that bed, but I never taught them how to make a bed? And they go in and they pull the sheet up and it's crooked and it's on there funny and it's wrinkled and the bottom sheet never got tucked under and I come in and say, oh, what's wrong with you? I, you got to remake that bed. You didn't do it right. And I just keep yelling at them and yelling at them. The Bible doesn't just tell us when we're wrong. It also tells us how to get right. It tells us how to get back right with God. And you come to church and the preacher preaches a sermon or you're in your, your Bible study and the Word of God just steps all over your toes for the way you're living and you go, I don't like that. Look, put the rebellion to bed and say, okay, I'm doing this wrong. I have this habit in my life that's been here for years. It's out of bounds. But I'm going to let the Bible correct me. And I'm going to let it give me the method of how to get right with this. Letter D, it is, it is instruction. It tells us how to stay right. 
how to stay right. It tells us how to live the Christian life in a way that's victorious and even how to take those steps up to a whole nother level. All right, quickly here, number five. got to wrap this up. We see the Christian's mission. The Christian's mission. Look down at verse 17. It says here that the man of God, here's our mission, may be perfect. Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we have um, uh, letter A, the Christian's mission is to be perfect, to be mature. We uh, will never be sinless in this life. Every day I sin. I don't want to, but I do. I do something wrong. Now, while we can't be sinless, we can work to sin less and less and less each day. And God wants to see you mature, mature in Christ. There ought to be a day where you come here long enough or you open up the Bible and the pastor says, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes and you know right where that is. There ought to be a point in time in your life where the pastor starts uh, to talk about a particular topic that you don't really hear talked about very much and you go, you know what, I know a little bit about that because I studied that on my own. You know what that is? That's maturity in Christ. Now, I'm not saying you need to be there tomorrow. It's a lifelong journey. Mature just means that you are where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. You're reading the mark. Letter B, to be prepared. What is the Christian's mission? It's to be prepared. I love the, 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 the picture illustration here out of 1 Timothy 3.17. It says there, Throughly furnished. Throughly furnished into all good works. Now, um, if, if you buy a house and you don't put any furniture in it, it is not prepared to be a home. You all understand that? When we, uh, when we got married, we didn't have any furniture. We had to borrow and buy from the thrift store, holes in the couches. And, and uh, in time, other people gave us other furniture. It was a little bit nicer. Right before we moved here, we went out furniture shopping at Ashley Furniture. We bought a whole bunch of nice furniture. And we, we now own that. We own that furniture. We spent a long time saving up for it, and we... Furnished it. Now, if we want to have a newer family visiting the church or an older family visiting the church over to our house for lunch like we like to do or for dinner, we have a table to sit at. We're prepared. We're prepared. And you know what? That is the Christian life. You work hard learning the Word of God so that you're prepared. And you meet somebody out and you're inviting them to the church and they have a question for you and you're prepared to answer that question. Christian, uh, how well do you know the Bible? How uh, well are you obeying what you know? How well do you handle reproof? How well do you follow correction? These things furnish the Christian life. These things allow the Christian to mature and to be complete in Christ. That is to be your mission. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of work to do. You know, I'm looking forward to studying the topics that we're going to look at because I know God's going to teach me some new things that while I have a basic knowledge of all the doctrines, God's going to grow my knowledge. and That knowledge will inspire me to do what's right. Will you commit in 2018 to be faithful to the house of God? Not so that you will grow as a Baptist, but rather you will grow as a Biblicist. We want to hold the Word of God high here. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you here today can say, Pastor, I can identify you with that. There was a day and time in my life that I called on the name of Jesus to come in my heart and take my sins away. I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I know for certain, not because of the way I have lived my life, I know for certain that because of what Jesus did for me, and I put my faith in that like you did as a little boy, 
I know that I'm going to go to heaven. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? You did that. Would you just slip up your hand? You can remember a day and time you called on God's name and He saved you. You can put your hands down. Is there somebody here today who would say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that? Now listen, I don't want to embarrass you. That's not my intent. My intent is just to help you. Is there one here today who would say, Pastor, I don't know that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Would you just slip it up and slip it right back down? Is there one here today? I see that hand. My friend... And, and you probably represent some others that were too afraid to raise their hand. And I believe I'm the only one in the room that knows of that hand. But let me speak to you and everyone else. Salvation is so simple. Salvation just comes when you accept that Jesus died for you and you put your faith in what He did. It is His work, not your works that save you. And if you can believe with all your heart and call on Him, today He'll save you. What I would like to encourage you to do is just follow a very simple prayer that I'm going to help you to pray right there in your seat. This is a prayer you only really have to pray once, but you have to pray it by faith. If you'll pray that prayer, you'll be born into the family of God. You'll be given the gift of eternal life. You can be born in the family of God like I was back in 1988. Just pray this prayer. This is for the individual that raised his hand and anyone else in the room that may be may have been too timid but is ready to do that just say this under your breath just say dear lord jesus i know that i am a sinner and i know that my sin is wrong i understand that the payment for my sin is death and hell thank you for dying in my place i trust in your sacrifice on the cross Will you take away my sins? Will you give me a home in heaven? In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I hope you'll shake my hand after church and let me know that. I'd love to be able to give you some more information to help you grow if that decision was made. How many here today say, Pastor, there are some things in my life I already know where I need to go back to the basics. There are some areas in my life of either knowledge or practice or both where i got to get some things sorted out with God. Would you... Pray for me, Pastor, that 2018 would be a good year where I get that done. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Amen. And how many here today say, Pastor, there is um, some difficulties in my life, some heavy burdens I'm carrying. Will you pray for me as I go through these trials? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Amen. Many, many, many hands. Lord, I pray that you'd help those carrying the burdens to trust you. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to learn through those trials. Pray that you would endear them to you through them. Lord, I pray that you'd bring resolve to them. Lord, I ask today that you move in our midst. May this year be a special year for us as we become strong in our knowledge, but even stronger in our practice of truth. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'll stand, the altar's open. If you would like more information on a decision to trust Christ, I would encourage you to come and talk to Pastor Mike or Brother Verone down here at the front. They would love to help you with that. If you're here today and you've been saved, but you've not yet been baptized, our baptistry waters are ready to go. We'd love to help you follow the Lord in baptism. If you've been saved and been baptized, but you've not yet joined our church, you'd like more information on that. We'd like to provide for that to you as well. This altar is here so that you can come and kneel and talk to the Lord and Make your decision a little bit more serious and permanent.
It's a good thing to do to come visit it sometimes, and I would encourage you to do that or at the very least make those decisions in your pew as the piano plays.